0: beautiful wife for reading our song today. Uh, this past weekend we actually just celebrated our, our anniversary, our fifth year of marriage. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we spent the last couple weeks in Florida with family, um, and we just said, you know, enough of these white sandy beaches, enough of these blue waters, take me back to paradise, bring me back to Kansas City, so, uh, yeah, I'm just really thankful for, for her and this, it's been, a, it's been a crazy journey, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, as some of you know, I'm a school counselor, I work with middle schoolers, and so this next year I'll be working with 7th graders. So I can relate to the psalmist, sometimes I do find myself wandering the halls and saying, My God, my God, why are you forsaken? <laughs> you know, uh, it, it can be some challenging days, but uh, I'm joking, I love working with students just because uh, just how funny they are, like they're, <laughs> they're really interesting on uh, their priorities, like uh, the first day of middle school for one of our, our, my sixth graders, he was walking the hallways like this, and I'm like, dude, you look like me. <laughs> Whenever I pull back muscle, are, are you okay? Uh, do you need to go with the nurse? And he says, no, I'm fine. I just don't want to get a crease in my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so at the risk of, of your shoes not looking cool, you're walking the hallways like that. Um, or I, I had the privilege of doing summer school this year and I worked with um, at preschool through fourth grade. And you know, our, our kids ministry, they, yeah, wow, they, they deserve, they going to get that other gem in their crown. Okay? pretty pretty incredible but I actually loved it I I did preschool lunch duty every day and so I was mr. lunch teacher and um, my office was right by all of the preschool classes and so every time they would go to their uh, recess or uh, specials they would come by and they'd wave at me like this with one finger Um, so they're all walking by one day and it it gets the very end of the line this little girl looks at my office and she goes So, it's it both hilarious and also terrifying. Um, and you know, I, I have a lot of fun stories working with youth. I love working with youth, but as you can imagine, uh, as a counselor, I have so—not fun stories—working with youth. Um, unfortunately, I've seen the tears of students who can, who can relate to the songs here in a more practical sense of uh, maybe a, a parent who has forsaken them or abandoned them. I've seen the tears of of students who want to be with their dad, but dad's no longer in the picture. Um, Or maybe they want to be with with their mom, but mom maybe prioritizes drug use over their third child, and as a result, their rights have been taken away. And and whether it be um, a mom or a dad this idea of being forsaken or being abandoned by someone you love just makes it hurt uh, that much, uh, much more. So, we're going to look at Psalm 22. Uh, it's, it's pretty abrupt, the way it starts. Yeah, it's pretty harsh, the way it starts. And I want to dissect it. You know, feeling lonely is, is conditional, um, but being forsaken is often intentional in nature. Uh, which of course makes it hurt that much more. So Psalm 22, we have David here. And we see the psalmist, David, he's in obvious desperation, and it completely mirrors what Jesus is going through while he's on the cross. Uh, Psalm 22 is nicknamed the Psalm of the Cross. So we have two forsaken kings, both are going through devastating events in their lives, both feel abandoned, both feel alone, and I believe it's safe to assume that there are people here that can relate. Maybe you've been praying about something for a really long time. And you're not really getting that answer from God. And you're not seeing anything as a result of that prayer. And you begin to ask God, are you there? Where are you at, God? In this. Sometimes it can feel like we have the weight of the world on our shoulders. Like so we're in this thing called life by ourselves. Um, maybe it's, we feel we've been forsaken by, by God, but also maybe we feel like we've been forsaken by our family or by the church. And we're doing this thing called life by ourselves, and it makes us feel like we're kind of hanging on by a thread. It's like we're hanging on as well as the adhesive on the back of the church signs and the chairs. <laughs> we're just barely hanging on. We <laughs> maybe feel alone, and we may feel like the church is forsaking us maybe even god has forsaken us so what do we do whenever we feel like god has banned us i believe this is the best answered by the forsaken kings jesus and david before we jump into practical applications i just kind of want to break down psalm 22 uh, real quick uh, there, there is other scripture in Psalm 22 that we're going to reference as well um, Just because this is the song of the cross so There's a lot of relevance towards the whole song As well as the crucifixion story um, But the, the Psalms is one of my favorite books in the Bible Because of just how authentic it is It's, it's, it's the, the human experience You have real people responding to real things in real ways In this song in particular We have no idea what David's going through uh, David he could be being chased by Saul uh, maybe he uh, is being attacked by an enemy or maybe hes just having a bad day stubbed his toe I don't know but what we do know is that he's in obvious desperation he's frustrated and he's distraught this psalm starts with the title it says according to the doe of the dawn and that's the tune that the song or this psalm is sung to. Uh, we have no idea what that melody is i like to think it's revelation song by carrie joe probably not but that's what i like to think Uh, but the actual significant part of this psalm the title is that david starts off with this it says uh a psalm of david you see typically speaking more common than not Psalms by David are started off with two ways. They're they're, they're titled two ways. It's either a psalm, David, or of David, a psalm, which may not seem like it it means like it's like a really big thing, but it actually is. You see, if a psalm starts off with uh, of David, a psalm, that's where David is finding himself in the very presence of God. And because of that, he begins to pick up an instrument and begins to sing out to God. Whereas this one this song starts off with a song of David And whenever he starts off this song of David, he may not be in the presence of God But there was still hope that God was there And so he picks up an instrument and he is singing out to God so that God would respond After all, why would he even pick up an instrument if he didn't truly believe God would respond to this cry? It would be kind of a, a waste of time, right? But he still picks up an instrument despite his circumstances and begins to sing out to God. And we can learn from that. You know, I mean, we all go through really hard things, especially the past couple years. I haven't been that great, right? Um, but to still go to God, even though if we don't really feel God, still go to him with our knees. Still cry out to him with that hope that he will respond. Psalm 22 begins with a question. My God, my God why have you forsaken me pretty abrupt kind of harsh didn't really ease into this one he just kind of went off which is kind of interesting it doesn't just start with a question it also starts with an assumption david is saying why did you do this why have you forsaken me he didn't say did you forsake me god or have you forsaken me god no he uh starts off with why have you forsaken me which is a completely different tone from one, uh, Psalm 139. He asks a rhetorical question in Psalm 139. He says, where can I go from your presence, God? It's like a rhetorical question of wherever I go, Jesus, our God, you're there too. Then it goes to this, which mind you, Psalm 139 starts off with this, uh, the title of David, a song. So whenever he wrote that song, he found himself in the very presence of God, uh, as opposed to this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, we, we can do that. We can assume that God has forsaken us whenever we, we are going through this thing called life uh, And we may feel like we, we may assume that nothing comes from our prayer and maybe that God doesn't care about a thing we've been praying about This does not. It's not the case. God does care when we're, we are hurting C.S. Lewis says that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience. He shouts in our pain. It is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You know, and David knew full well that God was good. As he continues, it's like a complete shift in tone. He goes from saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words, my groaning, and then to the next paragraph, yet you are holy. In you are Father's trust. In they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried were rescue. In you they trusted, and were not put to shame. It's just a complete, uh, a complete shift in perspective. A complete shift in perspective there. And then he goes back. He goes back to saying. I am a worm. Goes back to that shift, to I'm warm, which is super dramatic. Can we be real? Let's just be real. That's 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 a dramatic thing to say. I'm a worm, and I'm not a man. Okay, David, chill. Uh, he's super pessimistic there, very dramatic. Uh, but, but then he goes back to thinking about all the things that that God has done um, for his for his people. He's reminded of all those good things that God has done in his life. Yet you are holy. You are good. You are trustworthy. It's like this this game of ping pong that's going on in this, this song, which is kind of the theme. You see, the, the, the first paragraph, the focus is actually David. David is the focus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? In the next paragraph, yet you are holy and thrown on the praise of Israel. And you, our fathers trusted any so any paragraph that uh god is the um is the focus it's there's almost like a reverence towards god you can see that that david still recognizes god's goodness even though his circumstances are really bad it is difficult though you know we can be like david and that we we just stop with that first question my god my god why have you forsaken me we don't recount the times that that god has been good to us we only uh we don't only see the, the bad that's been going on in our lives we're very pessimistic and um uh, it's just kind of like human nature we then begin to isolate ourselves from god but also from the community of god the church again there's a difference between feeling lonely and feeling abandoned lonely is conditional being abandoned is intentional in nature. Often when we have these feelings, we retreat inwardly flooding uh, our feeling of loneliness kind of thrive and our feeling of abandonment. As a result, we isolate ourselves. It's almost like retreat inwardly. Uh, as some sort of defense mechanism. It's like being lonely is on my terms. I get to choose this. I get to have control of the situation. As a result, we can isolate ourselves from others. We isol- isolate ourselves from going to church, going out with friends and from our family. And this can be damaging to our spiritual health, of course, as well as just our, our health in general. Um, Alex Barron says, the lies of the enemy thrive in isolation, which is true. If you don't have that support of the community of God, you are doing this thing called life by yourself. And it, the, the burdens of life become super heavy and just makes the world, the way of the world, that much more unbearable. It is difficult, though, when we're carrying the problems of today to to focus on the promises of God for the future. This is why it's important to remember the, the goodness of God from the past. And that's what David does. He he recounts all the time that God has been good despite his his circumstances. He looks back on all the things that God has done uh, for his people, for his um, for his fathers. Um, he looks back on all the goodness of God, which we can definitely learn from. You know, this is what's encouraging about the song in particular. Even though David may not be in a good spot, he has an understanding that God is good. And I think that's another thing that we can kind of learn from David here. Unfortunately, there's like a stereotype with the church that we have to have everything together. We have to have everything together. We almost have this church culture of being composed um, and questioning God. Makes us feel like it's the opposite of that, ultimately feel like we should hold our frustrations in, because after all, God has a plan, right? In which I'm content he does, I believe there's a value in crying out to God. You see, crying out to God in our, our time of crisis, there's a catharsis in crying out to him. By crying out to God in our times of anguish, we are in communication with God and that time that we are in communication we are in relationship with god and being in that relationship with god even in our most frustrating moments that time is authentic that is authentic interaction with god it may not be enjoyable because we're frustrated we're hurt but we are still in relationship with him and there is comfort in knowing that whenever we do go to god with our with our struggles our frustrations our feelings of abandonment that he knows exactly what we're going through. He's lived it. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. In a counseling relationship, having an empathetic relationship is key. You see, whenever we're sympathetic towards someone, we kind of feel bad for that person, but it oftentimes doesn't really move us towards action right it's like watching those uh those, those sarah bachlan commercials <laughs> you ever with the like the hurting animals I'm just like okay change the channel <laughs> this is rough um i felt bad but really moving really towards action having empathy towards someone you begin to feel what that person is feeling and whenever you feel what they're feeling you kind of bring yourself down to their level and it moves you towards action this is the case. I mean, Isaiah coins the the coming Messiah as the wonderful counselor. We have a God who has walked in our shoes, he's been tempted, he has gone through tragedy in his life. We have an empathetic God that took action on our behalf by sending Jesus to die for our sins. He was scoffed at, was betrayed by friends and abandoned by the very people. He came to save. He is Emmanuel, he's God with us, and he's God with us in every way. He's walking in our shoes. So there's comfort in knowing that we, by crying out to God, not only does he know what we're going through because he's omniscient, but also because he's experienced it. There's a lot to take away from our second forsaken king, Jesus. He taps and puts it best when he says this. He says, Jesus doesn't just teach us what to believe, but how to believe. See this psalm in particular has a lot of prophetic elements. I mean the nickname of the song is a song of the cross. A lot of things that that use, if you read Psalm, you're like, holy cow, this is the crucifixion. Psalm 22:1, 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the very last words that Matthew and Mark record Jesus saying while he's on the cross. So I want to paint this scene for you because I feel like whenever we just like, oh, Jesus was crucified, it doesn't really give it justice. So let me, I just want to paint this for you real quick. We have Jesus that's on this cross. After being brutally beaten, he's been crushed, he's been betrayed by one of his close friends. Hands and feet are pierced. And to add insult to injury, you have people walking around the cross mocking him while he's on the cross it's like the physical damage that he has already went through wasn't enough we're going to also uh, verbally abuse him as well and even with all these distractions people being really awful towards him is still his focus is still on communicating with god my god my god why have you forsaken me in desperation of being with god he cries out to god Why have you forsaken me? such a powerful scene in the Bible because it it paints the humanity of Christ. Uh, I mean, after all, a couple chapters before this, Jesus is asking if the cup would be be taken from him so he would be crucified, but not my will, yours be done. Paul says in 117 of Colossians, we just went through Colossians. He is before all things and in him all things hold together paul is emphasizing here that uh before christ came to earth he was he's always been um, he's always been in relationship with god the trinity is god three in one god the father god the son and the holy spirit so for the first time in christ's entire existence here while he's on the cross while being crucified while he's taking our pain while he's bearing our suffering while he's being pierced our transgressions and being crushed for all our inequities, he feels like the Father has forsaken him. Theologians oftentimes explain hell as this place that's complete absence of God's presence. So for this brief moment in time, Christ is feeling hell on earth. A feeling that's completely new to him. He's never experienced this before. So he pleads out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I, I do not believe that God the Father actually abandoned Christ here, but that's what Christ felt at the time with the agony of what he was going through. Just as I would say in our darkest moments, when we're, we're going through that, that God has not abandoned us. And on the contrary, I, I believe that God hurts with us. Psalm 34 says that he is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. In fact, I believe that, that Jesus is actually displaying what we should do whenever we feel like God is not there. And that is in desperation to speak out to God, despite all of the distractions of our daily life, all the suffering that we are going through on a daily basis are still our focuses on crying out to God. We don't give up. I mean, Jesus, while on the cross, had every right to give up in the moment, but he, he, his focus was still simply on God. Let me look at Psalm uh, 22, 6. I am a worm, not a man, it's kind of, it's, it's, I'm sorry, it's super dramatic. Um, Charles Spurgeon, he, he points out how it's interesting that he references that this psalm in particular with this uh, verse, I am a worm, not a man. See, in John 5, 58, says, very truly I tell you, this is Jesus uh, speaking, before Abraham was born, I am. Basically saying that I am who I am, making reference to him being God. To referencing this passage I am who I am to I am a worm. Quite the contrast. E. W. Bullinger he points out this word worm translates to Tola, and Tola is a Middle Eastern worm that's crushed for its red dye, just like Christ crushed on the cross, his crimson blood atoning for our sins. There are several other prophetic parts of Psalm twenty two in whole as well. Like for instance, you have verse 7. Insults are thrown at both David and Jesus. Both are mocked as well. This is evident in Matthew 27. Whenever you have the the governor's guards, they jam a a crown of thorns into Jesus' skull, and they hand him a staff on his right hand. They say, behold the king of the Jews, mocking uh, Jesus' authority. And you look at verse 8 of psalm 22 it's almost identical to matthew 27 i just want to read um, psalm 22 verse 8 real quick and i'm going to read you matthew let us see here verse 8 of psalm 22 it says he trusts in the lord let the lord rescue him let him deliver him since he delights in him now this is matthew he trusts in god let God rescue him now, for he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. It's like completely identical to Psalm 22. Um, and this is a, that, that period in time when I was talking about how people would walk around the cross and they would mock, mock Jesus while he's on the cross. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, which is so ironic because Jesus is literally on that cross to rescue those people who are mocking him. Verse 16 of, of Psalm 22, David says that his hands and his feet are pierced. And we, of course, know that Jesus' hands and feet were pierced. And then verse 18 of Psalm 22, David says that they cast lots for his clothes or garments. This is exactly what happens in Matthew 27, 35. As you can see, there, there are several similarities between the psalm of the cross and the crucifixion. And we, of course, know that, I mean, that's why we're here, that this isn't the end of Jesus' story. In fact, the, the book of Matthew ends with uh, the complete opposite of what happens on the cross. Jesus ends his life, according to Matthew, on the cross of saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Matthew ends with Jesus making a promise. Behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. Charles Virgin points out, making, I told you how he's making a point of how interesting that Christ makes that reference in the Old Testament of, I am who I am to, I am a worm to, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He is God with us. And he is God with us always, despite what we're going through. And I feel like at one point in our life, we all feel forsaken. I remember when I first went to Bible college, I became a Christian whenever I was 19 years old. Uh, so it's been a little bit. <laughs> Um, but I went to Bible college the next year because I was really hungry to learn more about God. And so it was kind of funny being in a classroom with a bunch of theologians saying, oh, you guys remember that story from the book of Exodus? I'm like, dude, I've never read the Bible before. <laughs> You're going to have to explain it a little bit. Um, and it, it was, it was kind of hard for me. I, I grew up in this really small town south of St. Louis. Uh, it's really small town. People don't leave it. And so this is kind of the first time I ever kind of thrown myself out of my a little metropolis of Potosi, Missouri. Um, so for the first time, I, was, I've, I was really threw myself out there. first couple of months were extremely difficult. I feel like I wasn't really connecting with the new people in my life, um, the people at Bible College. And I also had this feeling that my friends from home, as well as my church from home, kind of forgot about me. Because unfortunately, whenever you, you move far away, the kind of thing just kind of happens. It's no one's fault. It's kind of how it is. But then one night, I kind of got to my breaking point where I was just kind of in tears in my dorm room, little twin bed. <laughs> I feel like my, uh, my friends in church don't care about me, God. I feel like this is all a mistake. Do you truly want me to be here? Where are you, God. And looking back at the time, it was miserable. But as a result, there was an urgency and a desperation in my life in which I went straight to God. And as a result, I was in communication with him. My relationship with God improved. It was almost like the time that God was all I had, and I would later realize is he was all, all I would need. And uh, it, it improved. My time improved there. I made a lot of friends later to meet my wife. Um, But at the time, it was extremely hard. Charles Spurgeon says that, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. And we will have waves in our life. The question is, how are we going to respond to them? If I get the worship team to come up. So as you can see, we, we can learn several things from the forsaken kings we can learn to remember the goodness of God from the past, even when we're experiencing the troubles of the present. You'll also notice in David's psalm, the very first request, the very first thing that David asks for in this entire psalm is, God, be not far from me. It would be much easier for David to simply ask God, God, fix my situation, strike down my enemies, defeat my foes, but no. His first request is this. God, be not far from me. My encouragement for you today is that that would be your daily prayer. That would be the first thing that you would ask God. God, be not far from me. When things are going really great in your life, God, be not far from me. When things are really really bad, God, be not far from me. I also believe that we can learn to be like Jesus and that when we are desperate, we should cry out to God despite all the distractions. See, by doing so, we are in direct relationship with him. As we talked about earlier, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he's God with us to the very end of God is close to the brokenhearted. But you'll also notice whenever you read that in chapter 28 of Matthew, before he makes his promise that I'll be with you to the very end of the age, he also gives a, um, a command to his, his disciples. He says, therefore go and make disciples. Making disciples is impossible to do if we're not in community with others. So let me ask you, who are you in proximity with? You see, we are the body of Christ here. It is the heart of God. It's not the heart of God that any would be forsaken. So ask someone, I'm gonna go out for coffee. Check in on your microchurch family. Sometimes whenever I see students in the hallway, I know something's going on. I'll say, hey, how are you doing? And they'll say, I'm good. I'm like, no, no, no. How are you really doing? you want to to talk? Sometimes our plans could be inconvenienced, By others and that's okay. That's the beauty of being in community. It is great practice to be in proximity with those who are in need because maybe you one day you'll also be in need and you will know that you have that support to go to. To foster this community is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. This is what the, the heart of God looks like. Us in community carrying each other's burdens that no one would feel abandoned nor forsaken. And to those working through this idea of being forsaken, I pray that you find hope in knowing that you aren't alone. I pray that you would know that it's okay to not be okay. I talked about this culture of being composed that the church often has. And I would urge you to let your church family help carry your burdens, your micro church family, your church family, let us help let's help carry your burdens it's difficult to be vulnerable with others and that can be a pride thing um, because we don't want others to see our flaws it's human nature i get it but there's value in it there's strength in our weakness see oftentimes whenever we're, we're you're vulnerable you'll give that person uh, encouragement because maybe they're going through the same thing but they just don't feel comfortable enough to say anything about it yet or in a future tense, maybe they'll go to you because they know that you've been through that thing. And you've already weathered that storm. See, the storms that we face in life can eventually become someone else's shelter. They can trust us in knowing we have experienced something similar. That empathetic relationship is huge. Being able to feel what other people feel. you all have an empathetic God who has promised to be with you to the very end of the age. you're surrounded by this body of Christ who has been commissioned to be by your side through the good times and the bad. And as such, we fulfill that plea of David, God, be not far from me. And God will not be far from others if the body of Christ is near. Let's pray. God, you are good. You are with us always. You're close to brokenhearted. God, we thank you that that you have empathy for us. We thank you that you have experienced life and that we can go to you knowing that we have a God who knows what we're going through. God, I pray. For everybody here, they're going through something in which they feel like they have been forsaken or abandoned, that God, that you would draw near. God, you'd be near to all of us in our daily life. God, I pray that you would just continue to move in this church, that you would be again to uh, mend broken hearts from those who have felt abandoned by the church in the past God, that we'd be intentional on checking in on one another. God, that we would move towards those who are brokenhearted just as you move towards those who are brokenhearted. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.